0: Welcome back guys. And I'm excited to introduce our guest today, Evan Kaloudis. Pete, do you want to give him a proper introduction?
1: I would fucking love to. Evan is a full-time baller. He is a software engineer with a cybersecurity background. He started programming when he was 13, the tender age of 13. He won all the dance battles he participated in. And he got into Bitcoin in 2014. He created an amazing lightning app called Zeus, which allows you to connect your connect to your lightning node or your, you know, your Lightning implementation and then interact with it over your phone. It's incredibly powerful. It's super useful. And uh, I'm really excited to talk to you about the lightning network and everything that's happening in it.
2: What's up? What's up? What's up Bitcoin magazine live. Yeah, man. So, so uh, yeah, take it away. Oh, yes. Pete.
1: Yeah, no, I was just gonna say thank you for joining us. I'm so excited we've only met, I think once in person in, 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 in real life, but it was a wonderful experience. And I guess I kind of want to have a, a a far reaching conversation here. So this will be a casual conversation. Please feel free at any point to just rest us in another direction. And I want to make sure that as we're going through all this stuff, you know, this, which is very technical. That we're, we're creating a, a space that even those who don't yet understand exactly what lightning is can still sort of interface with it. So you are infinitely better at describing the things that we're going to be talking about than I am. So please jump in whenever I use a term that, uh, that people may not know. And, uh, you know, we'll go from there.
2: Sounds good to me. Let's do Amazing. it.
1: So I guess the first thing I want to to set the stage, can you describe the the kind of the, at a high level, the lightning, what the lightning network is, and then the lightning network ecosystem and the types of applications that kind of exist in it, you know, so like hosted lightning wallets, you know, things like Zeus, maybe LSPs, like let's just kind of set the stage for the audience here.
2: Sure, let's do it. So it has a few problems with it, right? You need to wait for a block to get confirmed and It takes about 10 minutes to get into a block. There's limited block space. So it's very competitive to get into it. That can mean that making a transaction when you need it could be very costly. So lightning is sort of a layer two solution on top of Bitcoin that attempts to solve those problems. It uses these things called payment channels, which you set up between other counterparties. And you basically stake your Bitcoin into these channels in advance before you can use them on lightning. And you know, Lightning sort of uses this hub and spoke model where you can make a payment by hopping across multiple channels. And uh, if you happen to be in the middle of a payment, you can earn some routing fees on it. So got all of these interesting dynamics as far as routing and liquidity, a lot of interesting challenges about how we get new users, those channels, and how do we introduce those concepts to them? So yeah, Lightning's been around for what was it? four years now, maybe longer, five, and, uh, we're seeing some pretty great growth. I'd say the last two years has been incredible. Yeah. Well, you want, you want to dive into the, the different types of wallets people could have, yeah, one uh, thing I, I would just like want to clarify array and uh, yeah, there's a lot of nuance to it.
1: Yeah. I mean, w- one thing I just want to clarify is, you know, with, with Bitcoin is optimized for, you know, as you said, like kind of final settlement and you know, of course, decentralization, all these other things. And, and as part of that by design, it takes that, you know, at at a minimum sort of 10 minutes for each block to be confirmed. And, you know, you, if you're listening, you can go and look at, you know, something like mempool.space, and you can actually see what, you know, Bitcoin block as they come in and as they are, you know, confirmed by miners in the network, you can see all the transactions that are going to each block and then lightning to your point, it, it, it sits on top of the layer one, Bitcoin. It's a layer two technology. And it aims to make certain trade-offs. So it's a, you know, you have to, it requires a little bit more trust because as you said, you have to open these lightning channels to other entities, but you get sort of essentially, essentially instantaneous payments um, for very, very low fees that, 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 that anchor to layer one Bitcoin. And so they, they sort of get the benefits of Bitcoin. And for these minor trade-offs, you get this, this huge benefit of very fast payments for very low fees over lightning. That
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think describing Bitcoin layer one as the settlement layer and lightning as payment layer, the payment rails in which you want to do your daily payments on, I'd say that's accurate. And yeah, there are definitely a lot of trade-offs when using lightning. I think the most distinct one, other than having to, you know, put up the capital, is this really interesting problem that sort of applies to how all these different wallets are set up. It's this requirement that you have to be on the line, like all the time, or at least have some other counterparty like a watchtower or lightning service provider online for you all the time to make sure that your counterparties are not trying to cheat you and run away with you know your side of the channel. So yeah we we make these trade-offs and as a result we have some you know really interesting approaches as to how to get these you know this application into users hands. So I'd say the most common unfortunately, are these sort of custodial lightning wallets. And this is like, I'd say a a wallet of Satoshi, perhaps if you guys have used that blue wallet, at least their default lightning wallet, are both custodial solutions, which are, are, it's good for users in that it's easy to get set up. You're not worrying about channel management, but you could get rugged. Not saying that these entities would do that, but there's a possibility that, you know, blue wallet turns off their server, runs away with your sat, wallet of Satoshi runs away with your sat, you know, authentication risk isn't great.
1: And when you say custodial, what you mean is that you know. We're actually taking a, a slightly a step further back. The way the Lightning Network works, as you mentioned, this hub and spoke model is you have you know nodes, and anyone can run a node on top of Bitcoin Core. And there's lots of different you know. Yep. There's what? There's you know. What what are some of the the? There's the Umbral, of course. There's you know noddle, There's Mino. There's all these these sort of pre-built systems or these systems that make it way easier to run a lightning node alongside Bitcoin Core. And, but in order to do that, you know, you, you have this lightning node, as you said, that has to be online all the time in order to maintain these payment channels with other nodes. And you have this giant spider web that basically allows you to sort of route payments through the network. And so, as you said, having to have a node online all the time is impractical for some people. And so there's this, you know, custodial solutions where basically they are running a node for you and you're trusting them to basically make you whole and to keep track of everything for you. Is that
2: pretty good? Explanation? I would, I, yeah, I would say, I would say slight nuance to it. In the case of Wallet of Satoshi, Blue Wallet, you're all really just sharing the same single one lightning node. And then they put oh, a piece of software on top of it that just keeps track of everyone's different balances. I think the same could be said a little bit for. Moon in that you're using their lightning node to get swaps, but you sort of control the funds. So it's a little different. We'll get into Moon in a b- little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, and so when we're talking about Moon, Wallet of Satoshi, Blue Wallet, these are apps that you can go download on your phone right now in order to interact the lightning network and send funds to Bitcoin again, instantan- mm-hmm. essentially instantaneously for very low fees. So you can go do that right now. But as you're saying it, th- those would technically be, oh yeah. <laughs> Two years. <units. laughs> Moon yeah, YouTube our producer is, just reminded right? mu- us. Yeah, Moon, M U U N, not just M O O N. Those are c- technically considered LSPs, right? Lighting Service Providers.
2: Okay, so yeah, I'd, I'd say all three of those are LSPs in in a certain way. Definitely with Blue Wallet and Wallet of Satoshi being custodial driven. Moon has yeah. got a bit of a different security model. We'll get into that later. But but yeah, so I'd say you know these are instances in which you're relaying someone else's lighting. But then you could go a step up and say, hey. You know what? I want to be a little bit more sovereign. I want to, you know, run the node myself on my phone. I might not have my Raspi. This one here is running some old Noddle software. This one's served me very well, you know, super easy setup. But, you know, some people don't want to spend or they don't have the money to set up their own Raspberry. They don't want to run it at home. They don't want to worry about the maintenance and they want a quick solution. So there's a couple of other wallets. In this category, I would say is Breathe and Phoenix, which are both go up there wallets in which you're running your node on your phone, but you're really relying on uh, the LSPs that Async is running for Phoenix and Breeze is running for their users. Breeze has a little more flexibility in that you could use the command line in like the dev settings to open your own channels, whereas Phoenix just only yeah. lets you set up channels, you know, with them. And basically the LSP says, okay, we're listening out for when you want to make a payment or when you want to receive a payment and we know what channels you have available to you. If your channels aren't sufficient for sending or receiving a payment, we're going to automatically open this channel up for you or give you a prompt. And we'll, you know, in most cases show you what the fee is, if it's acceptable to you, we'll open that channel to be able to process that payment. So this LSP is sort of doing some of the heavy lifting for a user that, you know, might not have a view of the whole network on their phone. Or, you know, it might not be easy to get them payments otherwise. So these LSPs, they act as sort of a middleman that, that helps facilitate this process. While users still get control of their own keys, which is super refreshing. There's a little bit of a trade-off in that a lot of the way these LSPs are working, they essentially know like all the transactions you're making, especially if your channels are only open. to them. So there's a privacy trade-off there that people should be aware of. Obviously over time, some novel solutions can come up. A lot of people are working on some, you know, blinded payment sort of stuff, but this hasn't really come to fruition. So when you're really using an LSP exclusively, especially, and and you don't have the option to go other paths,
1: it's really a lot of privacy. Yeah. You're trusting them with all your information.
0: Mm -hmm. Can you guys talk a little bit about like the, the different sort of layers of privacy, especially as it comes to the lightning network? Cause it's not just as simple as spinning up your own node or hosting your own sort of lightning node, or at least to my understanding, if you guys don't mind just kind of exploring that a little bit.
2: Yeah, sure thing. So there's tons of layers of, you know, privacy that you have to think about on lightning, you know, unfortunately it's a little loaded right now. I would say generally speaking as you know, rule of thumb, when you are sending on lightning, you have a really high degree of privacy, you're going through Typically, you know, a few hops before you reach your destination and whoever's receiving it only sees the last hop in that chain, right? So they could say, okay, I got this amount, you know, it came from this hop, but I don't necessarily know if that hop was the payer or if someone before that made the payment. So you got some really nice privacy degrees there, privacy guarantees there. From a receiver as it stands right now, you're sort of doxing your node, every invoice in a Bolt 11, which is now the standard invoice format has your public key encoded into it. So if you're sending someone an invoice on Lightning, unfortunately you're, you're revealing who you are or, you know, whose node you're using to receive the payment. This is something that's going to be fixed. I'd say pretty soon with this concept called uh, blended routes, it can make payment reliability a little more shaky. It could also be a little more expensive, but you know, these are trade-offs you're going to have to make to get a little more privacy on Lightning. But yeah, there's definitely a whole lot of different layers to it. So there's the network layer in which you are broadcasting all this gossip to the lightning network, to all your peers. You're saying, Hey, I have these channels with these capacities. If you want to, you know, perhaps use me in a hop to make a payment, here's the info you need to do it. So now it's going to be sort of difficult to transition away from all this information we're broadcasting, but over time, hopefully we'll be broadcasting less and less of that data, but on the lightning network layer, that's one thing to think about after that, you know, when you are Closing a channel, I believe on the blockchain, you sort of reveal that, you know, you were in a, this lightning channel and, you know, it, it's sort of unavoidable at the moment. However, as we transition over to these PTLCs instead of HTLCs that lightning uses to, you know, make these micro payments, we're gonna, we're gonna attain a little more privacy there. We're gonna be using, and especially in our, our broadcast, these things called SEIDs, which are these aliases that we're gonna use. And that's going to give us a little more privacy too. So, so far, a whole lot to unpack. So we got, you know, lightning network layer. We have the network layer for on the blockchain, all the records there. And, uh, you know, furthermore, you also, to a certain extent have to think about higher level attackers, how you're connecting to your node and everything that gets revealed like that. So, you know, not as much of a threat, but you know, there's definitely a lot of things to take into
0: consideration. So Pete still hasn't figured out how to unmute himself. So I'm going to take one of the questions from the chat real quick (laughs) from Joshua. Is it, is it profitable to run a channel for public use?
2: Profitable to run a channel. I wouldn't say, so if you want to run lightning and make a profit on it, you have to be a routing node, right? And you're essentially trying to be a middleman in those transactions that we're talking about. Essentially your goal is to route as many payments as possible. Collect as many sets as possible. And uh, you're not going to be able to do that with a single channel. So you want to be facilitating these payments by setting up channels to multiple peers. You want to make sure the flows make sense there. So in a lot of cases, you're going to be wanting to rebalance a channel depending on the economic flows. If you're really lucky, you could find a balance where channel is going both ways, so it balances. But you know that's much easier said than done. You know we also are dealing with an incredibly competitive fee market. So there's people who you know are willing to put up tens of thousands of dollars of capital and only make a couple dollars back on these transactions. So yeah, I I would say it is very difficult to do profitably, but it's possible. And there's people who are making thousands. I'd surmise tens of thousands of dollars worth of satoshis on the network every month, but you know, those are the people who are really locked in. They're actively managing their node, you know, multiple times a day. It's difficult for sure. I think things are going to become easier as we bring more people onto the network. And I think stuff like Tyro, which is, you know, issuing assets through Taproot scripts on Bitcoin. They could also be brought to the lightning network. That's going to bring a lot more traffic, a lot more routing to the network. I think it could be easier to become a router over time as our network grows. So yeah, it's definitely doable. But it's definitely a rabbit hole. You can easily lose a lot of sads it's going to take some time to learn the nuances, to establish yourself, to build that reputation, but you can totally make a profit on lightning.
1: And I want to just reiterate, you know, we're talking about sort of the nuts and bolts of the lightning network, right? You can interact with the lightning network, use the lightning network right now, today, just by using one of these apps that we're talking about on your phone, you know, moon, yeah. that's M-U-U-N, things like that. And you don't have to understand any of the complexity that we're talking about. So. We're really going into the the deep nuts and bolts of this, and
2: yeah, uh, yeah, it's that's, that's power user stuff, right? Exactly. Like this can take some dedication. You're gonna really be diving to the weeds. Kind of probably be months long. It's not a year long process. And you know, these routing nodes, you got to have high availability. You got to be online all the time. You probably want to have it hosted somewhere with like a good line and not just be on tour behind your, you know, firewall. Although you can still be profitable like that, it's just much more difficult. And, you know, you're not going to be a routing node when you're using like Breeze, Moon, any of these other solutions, right? It just, you know, your, your phone's not going to be online all the time. Otherwise, you'd be burning, you know, all your battery and you just don't have the same connectivity.
0: Well, first thing first, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, heaven, but my phone is on 24-7. So <laughs> this is awkward. Because you are on my show and I have a stupid question and I have no shame. I'm going to ask said stupid question. Good. All right strike my understanding is they are also allowing me to buy bitcoin on the lightning network how how is that interaction like can we break that interaction down because like i'll be out like i have not put a single set in my moon wallet for my lightning so like explain to me how i'm interacting with the lightning network by just purchasing bitcoin on strike i'm sorry i hijacked the conversation peak <laughs>
2: No worries. So strike is a really cool app for, you know, either buying Bitcoin you can use either on chain or on lightning. It's also a great way for people, especially in jurisdictions like United States where, you know, selling Bitcoin is a taxable event to pay Bitcoin invoices using your fiat bank account. So strike essentially has all these relationships setting up with banking partners, different exchanges, it seems like, and basically they you get connected with, I think it's, it's the plaid network, right? You'll log into your bank account, get that set up. You'll deposit your dollars and then you're ready to make your, your purchase out, right? You, you got your balance and strike. You'll give it an invoice from moon or whatever wallet you're using. Strike will figure out what the US dollar conversion rate is for the Bitcoin or whatever the amount is in that invoice. So will give you the rate, how much they deduct from your fiat balance. And once you prove it. They deduct those dollars from your account. And with one of their very many lightning notes, they'll pay that invoice for you. So it's really novel service. I'm a bit of a user. I've used strike a bunch and yeah, it's definitely a custodial solution. Definitely KYC, you know, not ideal for a lot of people, but for people who are willing to KYC, it's pretty solid product.
1: One of the things that I think is so interesting and important about Services like Strike is that instead of it sort of being like, we want to build a thing that, you know, that, that sort of shoehorns Bitcoin into it, Strike is utilizing the existing Lightning Network and, you know, Bitcoin in order to provide a service that is needed by customers around the world. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of what they're doing. You can interact with Bitcoin and the Lightning Network, but Their primary use case, the reason that that app is successful and interesting is because it is providing this, this functionality that is very difficult to achieve in another way with a different service.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, strike put themselves in a great position, took advantage of this great opportunity. I think they're going to see some more competition, not only with other competing apps, but with how tarot is going to work. I think it's going to be interesting to see the dynamics of that, see how that works, see if they take advantage of tarot assets instead of solely depending on these fiat banking relationships. But yeah, that's all for them. It's a super smooth experience. And for someone who doesn't even want to worry about getting that lightning well in the first place, super novel way to use that lightning network for payments, but still use dollars as your unit or, you know, whatever other. Fiat currency, you got plugged in there as your unit of account. So yeah, it's, it's, it's brilliant.
1: And can you just define what tarot is for, for our listeners? Like, you know, obviously it's a, would you call it, would you call tarot a protocol?
2: Yeah, yeah, I would say it's a protocol for issuing assets through these tabric scripts, which we've, you know, somewhat recently introduced to Bitcoin with our soft fork. And uh, essentially you're going to be able to issue assets on it. You know, obviously you or I can. Issue something ourselves like PCoin and, you know, obviously people can, you know, issue all sorts of nonsense on it, but there are going to be big issuers that come and use it and provide people with both stable coins of, you know, big fiat currencies, but as well as, you know, sort of community currency tokens. And yeah, it's been pretty cool to see things behind the scenes be developed. I think we're going to see a lot of cool opportunities where these different assets get converted on the fly to make these payments. Yeah, I'm, I'm just super excited for people to get their hands on it later this year and uh, it hopefully to go live on Lightning very soon. So
1: fingers crossed. One question, I, I, I've heard two different things. Does one have to open a, a channel that is specific to the asset or can Tarot leverage existing Lightning channels in order to transfer assets?
2: That's a fantastic question, actually. And uh, the answer is that only the sender and the receiver need to have the asset specific channels open, but in the middle, all the hops in between, they can just be regular Bitcoin channels. So oh, convergence things sort of happen at the beginning and the end, or wherever you're hopping over to those Bitcoin
1: channels. Oh, wow. So you could basically ha- like there could basically, there could be like a, a singular node that is like for the specific asset, and then as long as you and or multiple nodes, let's say. And as long as you had a channel for that specific asset to that node, and then the other person did, you're saying it you can just hop through the network as usual. You can yeah, it. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and that's why I'm saying that this can drive like a, a great amount of routing. Once this is, you know, released. You can be processing US dollar payments, like, Euro payments, you you know, you name it, not even know it and be like, Collecting revenue and sats on it, that rocks. So that's super interesting, super bullish on routing moving forward. I, I think that the difficulty of turning profit is going to come down lower because of that.
1: That's so interesting. And I what I was trying to share earlier before I fucked up my mic and nobody could hear me, which I do once, <laughs> once a show, is I just wanted to give a graphical representation of the Lightning Network. So this is a fantastic website that's a lightningrouter.app. That's lightningrouter.app. And I actually filtered this so that it's only showing nodes in the lightning network that have five channels open or greater. So I'm filtering out a huge number of, of nodes, but you can see it's this gigantic spider web of these nodes that are, you know, running Bitcoin core. And then they're running a specific implementation of the lightning network. And there's, you know, let's say three very popular ones. There's, you know, LND, CLN, and then Claire, right. And and there's a few other. There's a few other ones that are coming out, but, but anyway, so this is basically all the connections that a friend of mine's node, a Darth node has throughout the entire lightning network. And so basically if, you know, if Evan's running a node and I'm running a node and Q is running a node and I want to send, and let's say like I have a channel with Q and Q has a channel with Evan, then I can send payments to Evan through Q's node and he collects a nominal fee for that service. But it gets really interesting when you're, you know. When you're talking about the entire network because as you can see if this is the you know darth node this person can send payments to almost the i mean pretty much the entire network by just bouncing through all like the other nodes in order to get the payment to a specific node wherever it is so it's a pretty powerful pretty powerful way to to send payments and and other assets we're talking about and information and there's a lot you can do with it
2: absolutely we're really just getting started you know there's a lot more of left to do to formalize in the protocol. There's still a lot we need to do in terms of privacy. I would really love for us to be able to buckle down and iron that out. So users have better assurances, you know, a lot of stuff coming down the pipe has me very, you know, bullish on Lightning privacy moving forward. I think we're going to have some great guarantees for our uh, receivers as well, very soon.
1: And to reiterate, you know, you were saying earlier that when you're interacting with the Lightning Network senders have a significant degree of privacy, but if you are receiving payments, you have to basically at the end of the day, kind of give up your pub key. And that is, is a, is a a privacy issue. And so, you know, there's, as I understand it, there's basically three main technologies that are kind of being explored. There's rendezvous routing, trampoline routing, and route blinding. Is that, is that accurate?
2: Yeah, those are definitely the main three that are being explored. They all come with Some slightly different trade-offs, you know, essentially when, when you're getting this privacy on lightning through this routing model, you know, you're making some sort of trade-off to get it. So you're either paying more, either saying, oh, I want to go through more hops or obfuscate and and pay for this bigger onion we got to go through, you know, also uh, paying more for them and, and also the payment reliability. So if you're going to be using these methods and they become formalized, your payment reliability is going to be a little trickier, you know, it's just another trade-off we're going to make along the way. But as far as the proposals, I think that
1: trampoline routing is super interesting. Can you, describe, can you describe what each of those is and sort of how they uh, they provide additional privacy? Okay.
2: I'll try. I will try my best here. So at a um, super
1: high level, you know, even you, you think-
2: so uh, essentially a rendezvous is where you say, okay, let's meet in the middle, we'll rendezvous at this node point and this node point is going to be able to bridge the gap between us. No, hence the word rendezvous. Trampoline is really where you're saying, okay, we're going to take this payment and defer it to this party. We're going to get to that party and that party is going to make the trampoline (laughs) leap to wherever we want to go. And in the process, you know, the receiver is going to be obfuscated. And blended paths is a little more tricky. Essentially, you add this thing called a tweak to the last few parts of the onion, the last few parts. And only, um, you know, the the last few hops or or the people there are able to figure out what that tweak is with relative ease to make that payment. So the payer is not going to be able to figure out where exactly is going. So I believe, I believe blinded paths are what we're going to see. I I think that's sort of the consensus of what the best sort of way to go is. And uh, I believe we've got an implementation over 12. It's okay. So that's a whole other can of worms with Uh, Bolt 12. So Bolt 12 is sort of this sort of all encompassing spec and uh, it does a lot of things. So the main thing is uh, recurring payments. So. Bolt 12 invoices could be really good for, you know, subscriptions and, and things like that. You know, there's also part of the proposal that's probably the most controversial part is the onion messaging where users are able to send each other arbitrary bits of data. And there's a bit of a debate about whether, you know, we should just let our nodes transfer that data over freely to facilitate, you know, all these interactions on the lightning network. Or if we should sort of charge for those interactions now that we have Satoshis, millisatoshis, you know, why should we allow freeloaders? So leaning a little more towards the ladder on that, but very interesting to see that played out. And then there's also third major part of Bolt 12, I would say in the, the blinded routes proposal. But technically that blinded routes part can be ripped out and actually applied to Bolt 11. So, you know. Well, there's a lot of stuff to be hashed out there. I think there's going to be a little bit of a divergence of the ways the different implementations go, but essentially I think we can see blinded pass on both bolt 11 and bolt 12.
1: Got it. Got it. So one, th- one question that had come up much earlier in the conversation, but was like, is it safe to put one's funds on something like Umbral in order to interact with the lighting network? And I have my answer, but I'm, I'm curious what you would say, Evan. So you know, you obviously
2: have all of these uh, different security models. You have this hot wallet. You have to be online all the time. I have a high degree of assurance of funds on my node are going to be recoverable. You know, but I also do like really thorough backups, I'm managing the time locks on my channels. I, I have another node I could restore my stuff to. So there's a lot of different nuances. Generally speaking, I would say yeah, it is safe. But on the other hand, I would say don't put your life savings on a Lightning node. Think of it like your checking account, right? You want to have your savings on cold storage, probably on seed plates, maybe in multi-sig, if you're so inclined, you know, on Lightning, I'd still wouldn't put more on my node than I'm willing to lose. Right. But uh, you know, at the same time, similar to, you know, restoring a seed, like when you want to test your cold storage setup I probably test my Lightning backup setup at some point early on, make sure that you can recover the, the keys, you know, restore your sort of hot wallet there. And also be able to issue your channel backup. Now, if one thing to note with your static channel backup, when you yeah. you know plug that in and, and recover it, you don't just get all your channels back. Essentially, yeah. yo, this this was my channel state. I'm broadcasting. It. I want to collect all my funds back. So essentially, what you're doing is saying, yo, I'm closing all my channels out. Bring them all into my hot wallet, and uh, you know, depending on that state of your counterparties, whether they're online or not, they want to, whether they want to cooperate or not they might close out in the next few blocks or you have to wait for the time lock for the channel to close. Um, uh, but I went that, to that. That, that, that time lock is super important though. Yeah. Because if you get hacked, if someone tries to rug you, that's the period of time you have to call shenanigans on that theft and get all your funds back. So it's yep. a very important component of the system.
1: Yeah. And again, just for the audience, I know I said this already, but we're talking about the nitty gritty nuts and bolts aspects of the Lightning <laughs> Network. You don't have to understand this in order to participate in the lighting Network with an app like, you know, Moon, M-U-U-N, or Blue Wallet, or something like that. So just want to be clear about that. But let's, yeah, I don't,
2: let's bring it back in, right? So I didn't even get a chance to plug Zeus here. So look. Yeah. I, yeah. Fuck. All let's, right. Let's run it back. Okay. So we have, I'd say, four categories of apps, I'd say, we have Wallet of Satoshi and Blue Wallet in that fully custodial bin. I would say Moon is another step up from that in which it's non-custodial, but you're sort of depending on them for their, their swaps. You know, Moon, super great wallet, good option still. Any, where, any place you're really holding your own keys, you can't go too wrong, but be mindful of the privacy implications. Then there's apps in which you're running your own node on your phone you got Phoenix by Async, you got Breeze, you got stuff like Blix, the very, cool wallet as well. And then you have our last category, sort of remote connection. Zeus would fit in this category. Stuff like Zap would also fit in this category. And basically you're connecting to your Lightning node. It could be anywhere in the world. It could be in a data center. It could be at home behind your router on tour. And Zeus strives to give you as much control, as much privacy as possible. So, you go on there, you can manage your on chain funds, just do regular Bitcoin transactions or do Lightning. You can manage your channels. You can get into the nitty gritty, control all the different fees for your channels. You can see how much you earned. You know, I go on my Zeus app every morning. I see how many sats I routed, how much I earned for the last day, and I can make adjustments as I need. So, yeah, I'd say that those are really the four main categories of Lightning wallets right now. Obviously, you know, you don't have to come out the gate and be a hardcore Zeus user with your own node, your your own umbrella. But, you know, I, I think the tooling is there with a little bit of time and, and setup. You can be what I would consider like a fully self-sovereign user on the Lightning network, you know, with as minimal trust on third parties as possible.
1: Yeah, and I, I can't speak highly enough of Zeus. Um, You know, I was one of the, you know, creators of Plebnet, a bunch of us, like 20 of us got together and basically were like, we want to learn about lightning, like we're fucking reckless and, you know, just dove in and it's grown into this, you know, large community. So I would recommend if you want to learn about the lightning network and you want a lot of support from people who can answer questions, Plebnet, which you can go to at plebnet.org, which will take you to the telegram channel. Great place to start. There's a ton of resources out there. BTC sessions has some great ones, just fantastic stuff, but what Zeus is the wallet that I personally use when I am away from my node and I want to basically be able to maintain it. And as you said, track on all the details, make changes. Zeus is fantastic. And there's not, like, I don't think there's really anything else like it out there, even now. Is there? Um, you know, I have a lot
2: of respect for, for Zap and, and what they've done. I've actually contributed to their desktop app a little bit, but it's really not super actively maintained. I believe yeah. like You know, there may have been an update in February or something, but Zeus, we're hacking on pretty much every month, if not every week, putting some updates up. You know, it's a full free open source project. We've got about 25 contributors, code contributors, that is. We've got like 70 plus translators, you know, tons of people involved. Um, Yeah, it's been really awesome. It's really my first free open source project. And I really just made it to scratch my own itch to give myself a way to access my lightning node. I was, you know, I set up my Raspberry Pi like three and a half years ago. I was taking the bus into the city every day for my cybersecurity job. And I'm like, wow, this is really awesome that I have, you know, my lightning node and I'm ready to make these in-person payments. These lightning fast payments are cheap, but where am I going to do that? I want to do that from my phone. So I just sort of put it together and. And we've got like a really big user base, a lot of contributors, a lot of people in the space that I looked up to, you know, like Sticks from Trezor. He's contributing code to Zeus now. It's sort of surreal. So, yeah, we're going to keep on doing it. There's definitely some challenges, but I believe wholeheartedly in Lightning. I think it's going to surpass all the existing payment rails in one way or another over the next 10 years. And Zeus is here to be a part of it.
1: Hell yeah. Yeah, if you are running your own node and you're interacting with the Lightning Network, do yourself a favor, download Zeus and uh, start playing around with it. It works fantastically. Is Zeus available only on Android or is it also on iOS?
2: No, we are actually on iOS too. So uh, it doesn't matter if you have an Android or an iOS phone. Maybe down the line, we'll get onto those Linux phones as people are using them more. But for now, those are two platforms. And uh, the real kicker is that we have Tor built into both versions of the apps. So if you've got an umbrella at home or my node Raspberry blitz, whatever, your phone is going to be able to connect to it remotely using Tor and get over your firewall, that being said, tor has been a little finicky the last few weeks. Yeah. Everyone's been following that. You yeah. Can you,
1: can you summarize that actually? I, I know of it, but I have not been following it super closely. What, what happened there? What's going on?
2: Okay. So basically in a nutshell, we don't know.
1: Right <laughs> oh, shit. Okay.
2: So, okay. You, the main site is status.torproject.org. And you'll see the status of the network, what's what's happening. And we're seeing a degradation of the V3 onion services, yeah. which people typically use not only just to get their nodes onto the lightning network. So like talking to all the other nodes, but we also use that to connect our phones. Like, like connect Zeus to your node and uh, basically. Tor has all these relays. People have to, you know, run these nodes to like forward these, these packets of traffic. And basically the demand for those packets is far outweighing the supply right now. Interesting. And you know, you could speculate about what it is. Is it just general usage of Tor going on? Probably not. Is it, you know, competing darknet markets, trying to flood the market and, and mess up their competitor's share and just cause shenanigans? Could be, that's a popular
1: theory amongst some people. You're saying it's definitely a state-sponsored attack. Got it.
2: Yeah, that's category number three. Could be. You know, we really don't know. Tor is complicated. We know that state actors use it to their advantage. Also a thorn on the side of some authoritarian dictatorship where they don't want people accessing data on the web freely. Tor helps facilitate that. Be a lot of different things. And we don't really have a great solution to solve this. The real solution is let's run more relays. You know, let's all go home. Let's go buy an AWS server or server at home and run our own Tor relay and fix that. But uh, you know, other than that, it's not really a great solution. So for Zeus users, this is a big problem, especially if you just want to, you know, use out the box with Tor. Fortunately, there's a lot of interesting alternatives. Certainly there's a lot of trade-offs with them. Wait, I just
1: want to jump. I just want to jump back for one second and uh, summarize what Tor is and please correct me because I'm going to fuck it up. But Tor is basically. It's, it's essentially sponsored by the United States government, or at least its development was. Yeah, it is- it's
2: the Naval Research Academy, something like that actually developed it. And I think there's a lot of funding for a lot of the servers too. So uh, yeah, the, the, dynamics are a little uh, funky there, obviously, uh, you know, military and, you know, intelligence would have a lot of benefit of using it, but you know, also you're, you're letting this thing out the wild, it's sort of like, can't get the toothpaste back in the tube. So very interesting relationship to think about there but you know you also got to consider that you know the military and universities they helped develop the internet the nsa also developed a lot of the cryptography that is used in bitcoin itself you know things aren't so black and white there's a lot of of gray it's
0: all about the incentive okay I, I found an opportunity for me to chime in here do it evan c- come enter come to my mother's basement now with me and put on our tinfoil hats Bitcoin, with all of these other things that you've brought up that are, you know, deep state projects, where do you fall on the scale of Bitcoin is actually a government ploy?
2: Okay. Well, this Satoshi fellow was, you know, definitely sketchy. I mean, who uses Windows as their main operating system? I think that's a big red flag, <laughs> but honestly, even if it was like, who cares? It doesn't matter. Like, you Tor was made by the government, who cares? You could still use it for... Your own good, you could use it to subvert governments around the world. Similarly, you could use bitcoin to subvert central banks around the world. So I don't care, you know. Like, if you know, General Alexander from the NSA coded up bitcoin, you know, good on him. That's great. I'm still gonna use it.
0: Interesting. Okay, I return it to TP. <laughs> Actually, I got one more. Okay, let's while hat. we're while we're down in my mother's basement with our tinfoil hats on, Mary, fuck, kill, Janet yelled, Christine Lagarde, Drum Powell, and oh, before you answer, there is a correct answer in response to this. You're really putting me in the hot seat, right? I told you, come on down to, to my mother's basement with me and. This is, okay. this is what I lob you.
2: Okay. So probably, ooh, this is so tough. Okay. I would say you got to marry Jerome Powell, right? Because he's still, he's probably got the most power out of them all right now. Use that to your advantage. Pump corn if you can. Damn. Now it's between.
0: <laughs> you ask the questions. With
2: the and Yellen. Oh, man. It's like, that's that's a whole can of worms. I mean. P- Lagard is, is probably more unethical because of, you know, her her fraud charges. It's amazing that that she's still so involved with the ES- you know, it's, ECB it's it's crazy insane. So probably kill her, but I don't want to fuck Janet Yellen. What kind of
1: it's question is it's, it's too late. late. It's too late. It's already happening. You're doing it right
0: yeah, now. Wow. You the so so cool, close. Though. Look, I mean Yeah, let's hear
1: your logic behind this one.
0: I, I it has one. to be you have to marry Jerome Powell if the <laughs> only reason to be married to the money printer. And then like in the event of a divorce, half of infinity is still infinity. So. (laughs) $50. Yeah. You're good to go. That's the most important piece of the puzzle. And then at that point, it's really just like, like, how big do you like your girls at that point? Right. (laughs) (laughs) right, I'm going to go back to being muted over
1: here. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, this is good. This is good. We need to keep the conversation dynamic, you know, ask important questions.
2: Yeah, we said at the beginning of this, we're going all over the place. Absolutely. So wherever you guys want to take
1: it, I'm game. Uh, no, I love it. I love it. So, you know, we've talked a lot about, well, talked a lot about the Lightning Network, Zeus Wallet. What are some other things that are happening right now in the Bitcoin space, whether on Lightning or just Bitcoin generally, that are particularly interesting to you that you're excited about or that you think are worth talking about?
2: Sure. so, I think we hit on most of the things that I'm really pumped about in lightning. Right. we talked about blinded paths. We talked about taproot channels, PTLCs. We talked about skids. We talked about. Wait, we? Skids. Skids are like those identifiers for the, for the channels. Instead of like saying like,
1: oh, this is my channel. Oh, got it. Got it. Got it.
2: Yeah. It's like a alias that you can use to sort of obfuscate Oh, where you actually are with your channel.
1: I'm going to be terrible. I just asked you a question and I'm going to like rest it away into a different direction. Very, very quickly.
2: Wow, we're one really thing, going off the rails.
1: Oh, 100 percent. This fucking guy. Trust him <laughs> to run is,
0: one interview in this every
1: happens. fucking conversation that happens with me. So one thing we didn't actually talk about is why is privacy on the Lightning Network important? Why? Why are we? Why are you and I and so many people so interested in figuring out how to maintain anonymity for people that are receiving payments?
2: Sure, I think you know the answer is why do we want you know, privacy on Bitcoin on, on base layer, I I think it's the same question. You don't want to go to CVS, make a payment and then have someone follow you around and see where else you spend your money. That would really suck on the receiving side. You don't want to have your employer paying you in Bitcoin and then them following you around and seeing where you spend your money either, you know, financial privacy is a human right, you know, there's. Very sensitive things we do with our from, you know, supporting our family, even as simple as giving your kid like five bucks of allowance. Why would I want anyone to know about that? That's only between me and my kid. But you know, furthermore, you can be getting something to support your family that might be illegal in your jurisdiction. You know, we don't want to be, you know, contributing to the already existing and steadfast panopticon that we've set up in the financial world with, you know, all our our card payment systems, you know, credit scores, we do not want to recreate the existing financial system that Satoshi essentially wanted to destroy. So I think privacy is a big part of it. And uh, we've got this really interesting paradox in that Bitcoin is this open ledger, but we need that in order to verify the supply, because, you know, the real issue that, Satoshi trying to solve is, you know, the money, the money press, like how it gets issued and having transparency on that is critical, but at the same time, you know, the average person should not have their finances exposed to the world. So it's a very difficult challenge to tackle, but we've got some great minds working on it, both on layer one and layer two. And uh, you know, we're, there's definitely a lot more challenges to solve, but I'm optimistic people. We're working on it or some of the greatest minds
0: on planet. I want to give you a magic wand and just what is, if you can change something immediately right now about the Lightning Network, the way it's used or interacted with, what would you change?
2: That is a great question. You know, first and foremost, I just want more people using it. More exchanges, more services, more merchants. That's super important. But really, if we could, you know, I, I would... Do away with the first category of apps, those custodial apps and push people over to at least the bucket number two. I'm not saying everyone should be a Zeus user, but any opportunity for you to take control of your own keys, which is, you know, another huge part of Bitcoin, that personal responsibility, being the one in charge, yeah, that's huge. So I'd probably wave my wand and say goodbye wallet of Satoshi, blue wallet, your L and hub servers are off.
1: Oh shit. Shots it. fired.
2: You got to use well. You know, Blue Wallet's doing I a know. nice job in, in that they've added a. I think it's tucked away. I haven't used it in a few months, but they've actually taken the Rust Lightning library and put it into their app, so you could sort of run your own node in Blue Wallet now.
1: So that is fucking cool. Yeah, it's
2: really cool. I, I really love that team and all the stuff you could do with that wallet. And really cool to see them sort of moving into that direction. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges there when you give a user their own node. They have to be introduced to you know, the concept of channels, they got to be able to have someone open a channel to them to receive payments, LSPs, whole can of worms, a lot of stuff we have to figure out over the next couple of years, but you know, at least they took the right step in that direction.
0: I want to, I want to get your sense. And like, I am a firm believer of the eighty twenty principle and that of a 100- hundred of users, 20% of them will actually really understand what's going on. Like Right now, you ask 100 people on the street, I don't even think 10 people can actually tell you what's happening when they press or turn the ignition on on their car or flip on a light bulb. At, At a certain point, do you feel like there needs to be at least product offerings for that quite frankly, what will end up being the majority class of users? Or do you think it's a necessity for people to actually really roll their sleeves up and learn this? And if they're not willing, then this is just not a product offering that they're going to use.
2: So this is super, it's a great question, right? I think there's a lot of complexity in it because I think, you know, the 80, 20 rule holds true and with Bitcoin users, right? But Bitcoin also has in this ethos, this, you know, sense of personal responsibility, this DIY attitude. So yeah, I mean, we personally should be encouraging people to be, go, you know, pull up their sleeves as much as possible, you know, get their hands dirty if they can. But, you know, that's not going to be the case for like my parents, you know, like, like my mom is not going to (laughs) learn the Linux command line. So we need to make some trade-offs to make these things easier for people, you know, LSPs have a big role to play in getting people this liquidity so that they're well-connected. I think we just need to make sure that general Bitcoin usage is done not only in a self-sovereign manner in which you're holding your own keys, but we need to do, you know, everything we can do, every, everything, everything possible so that these LSPs that we're interacting with know as little about us as possible. So yeah we do need to dumb it down. And this is sort of why I want to sort of focus on a second app in the coming year. I think Zeus is great for people who are willing to get their pie set up or, you know, run the L on their own computer and do all the nitty gritty. But, you know, we also need to make accommodations for, let's say, my mom, right? So, you know, in the next year, I'd say, Zeus is gonna release a second sister app. It's gonna have a lot of similar functionality. But this second app is going to have the node and wallet built in and uh, yeah, hopefully we can ship with some LSP services to do some of that heavy lifting as far as the channels and connectivity go.
1: Love it. Okay. I'm going to take us back to the original question before I so rudely rested the conversation in a different, (laughs) what are you excited about in the larger Bitcoin space?
2: Oh man, there's a whole lot. i say primarily just in general, adoption around the world, you know, all these towns, countries thinking about it. Even the Russians talking about or teasing the idea of accepting cryptocurrency for payments. That stuff is super exciting. As far as development goes, I'm really pumped about stuff like Stratum V2, people just being able to, you know, get around mining censorship, I think is super critical. And I'm also intrigued, although, you know, I do so have some concerns about it, I'm really intrigued about Fedimin, which is this sort of community-run custodial solutions, like a federated community solution that I think is actually going to give people a lot of privacy, give people a place to just dump their coins and get a whole new fresh set out without the federation knowing. There's going to be a big trade-off in this in the system, though, and that is custodial. You can get rugged. However, the federated model is sort of like, what liquid uses. You got some more assurances. So definitely intrigued by that project as well. Other than that, just really interested about how we can also add private in terms of lightning coming from l one, you know, just trying to obfuscate our on-chain footprint further. I got my friend, Ben, the Carmen. He is working on a coin solution for lightning nodes. It's called Ellen Vortex. shit. It's a uh, pretty. Cool. And Wait, you got to define CoinJoin for the. Okay. So, so CoinJoin is a way of doing a collaborative spend with a group of people. You all put Bitcoin into this pot In a lot of the implementations you're putting like the same denomination, but others do it a little differently. And basically you put all your Bitcoin into this pot and then spit it back out to yourselves, it's sort of obfuscate which coins came from where. And you're essentially giving yourself a higher. Anonymity set, you could say, okay, let's say us three put our coins into a coin join, right? And we get them spit back out to us. You know, when, when we go and spend our coins, it's not really clear where those coins came from. It could be either one of us. And as you keep doing more and more of these coin joins and you do one round after another, your anonymity set goes up. The coins that are being spent can, could have been from increasingly more people. So coin joins are essentially a privacy technique for layer one.
1: Q, do you feel like you deeply understand and can explain back to your own mother or grandma what a coin join is? Fuck no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Kidding me. I I can barely explain the lightning network right now. Like I'm sitting here just in like class. Don't fucking give me a pop quiz in the middle of it.
1: Those are the i'm worst making a TGP. note here i'm making a note here
0: f get degrees.
1: so
2: good. yeah i mean obviously there's gonna be some people who are just never gonna understand some of the concepts But well, what you can do as application developers specifically
0: hey hey it. don't insult my co-host <laughs> so i get it i'm not technical you guys are much smarter than me but like i, have I wouldn't go that far to- i
1: wouldn't go that far yeah. i, I still can't to- figure out how to fucking unmute myself so <laughs> you know Take that, think of that, what you will.
2: It's all right. Listen, listen, guys, even me, you know, don't put me up on a pedestal. I'm still learning stuff each and every day, you know? As, on that Bitcoin, was the milk
1: Like, Hey, you guys are cool too. You were like, look, like just the other day, I learned how to like, you know, farm tomatoes. And that's the same thing as like running a lightning network node, like being a contributor to Bitcoin core, you know, whatever.
0: Evan, Evan's that guy who will be like, dude, I'm the same as you, man. Like I'm, I'm still learning. I'm learning complex trigonometry for breakfast and meanwhile coding new software just like on my lunch break. But we're the same. We're the exact same. <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll definitely take it too. You
1: know, yeah. Battery. But uh, so-, so tell me more about your your journey to software engineering. I, you know, I I was a software engineer myself. I, you know, helped build some of the the early coding boot camps. So I, I don't write much code these days, but I'm really curious, you know, I, I came to software engineering much later in my life and I'm always fascinated with people who had the focus and the interest to start playing with these technologies much earlier. So how did that happen for you and and how did that translate into Bitcoin for you?
2: Sure. So I don't know, I think computer and the internet was like really intriguing to me as a communications tool and as like this tool for accessing media, like some of my like earliest memories, I I guess, not earliest, but like, you know, five or six years old, just remember my dad getting a computer, getting set up with like a AOL disc or something that you'd get in the mail, like kids back in the day, when you wanted to connect to the internet, your computer would yell at you and make like all these screeching robot noises. So anyway, we, we did that and, uh, you know, there's some platform on AOL and we were just downloading the James Bond trailers for like, I don't know what was out at the time, like tomorrow never dies. Maybe I think we downloaded the Golden Knights one too. And like, it took like a day or two for like the two minute trailer to download at like less than 480p resolution or
1: like half that. And that was it was so much it, worse. It was so much worse than 480p. It was,
2: it was awful, but you know, just that experience is like what's like we we picked our content we set out to download it so yeah i think that really just like media in general like like i said like i got into programming around the time i was 13 i was like you know like a teenager really into music also didn't have a lot of money like couldn't just go to the store and get any dvd or cd i wanted so like the prior, Earth, Earth <laughs> I got was a sleep. really big part of it too from there like you know, I discovered all this great media and I was downloading a bunch of stuff. I had like an MP3 blog. I, sit, I set up with my friends on like Blogspot and uh, we would share like- albums Oh my
1: God, Blogspot. like that. That's like Geocities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a it's deep just, cut. It's a deep cut. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's like just the one generation right after that, after the Geocities, Geo-Cities stuff. Did you
1: just say Geocities? Geocities, you could use that. I'm, I'm totally going to. I'm going to steal that.
2: Yeah, so after that, music blog sort of evolved into like a, a formal music blog. And uh, we started like just writing reviews and started meeting people over the world through different music forums. And we recruited to the site and uh, yeah, I ran this like site throughout high school and college. Then we took a little break and about two years ago, we brought it back. So if anyone wants good music recommendations, I still run that site casually, it's called beatspermanent.com. I'm going to
0: really put, you're going to whip out your Spotify right now. Give us, give us what is the first song on shuffle for you.
1: You know, man. Yeah, first um, of all, say the website again because I, I want to check this out.
2: So it's called Beats Per Minute, like the music term, like BPM. So beatsperminute.com. And uh, yeah, from there, it's like I sort of hopped into web development, sort of out of necessity. Like the site looked bad. And I'm like, okay, the site shouldn't look bad. I want this to be a professional looking site. So we got into CSS, HTML, PHP for the WordPress backend stuff. And uh, yeah, sort of kicked off my journey to web dev from there. But in school, I was doing like, Java stuff, yeah, that's it beats per minute. So we've got a whole lot of uh, content. It's a lot of independent stuff. So, you know, you're not going to find too much uh, mainstream stuff, but we do cover like a lot of pop and K-pop stuff too. So highly really recommend you guys check it out. Our first computer I'm seeing in the, the comments, like uh, what was that? We had a compact that was like the f- first one. Like we pulled up the James Bond trailers. I think Unless it was gateway, but there was a compact in the mix. I think that one's still in my parents house somewhere. And then I got like this black Sony bio. Around the time we started up uh, Beach Per Minute in middle school, high school. And that computer has like the sickest design on it. Like the edges of it are, are crazy and had like a DVD a burner too. Uh, what? I remember you know, when it was like oh two of them. Like, so you had two drives so on the top was like the DVD <laughs> burner and below that the CD drive. You know, they couldn't do both,
1: you know? But yeah. Remember when zip drives came out? Like IOMega I zip drives? I remember being like oh, yeah. 100 megabytes. <laughs> You could store an eternity of information on this one device, and it was this like weird little like thick, extra thick like floppy disk kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I tried it. a couple of those. I literally carried one around with me at elementary school. I guess I was you middle school. Would. I totally did, and I was like, "Do you have any idea what the power that is contained within this device?" People were <laughs> like, "You fucking nerd!" And then I'd like kick them in the shins and whatever, and they go away. But yeah, man. Look, Q, Q, while we're talking right now, Q is like, what the fuck is happening? I remember my dad having a, it was a, it was a portable laptop that was really a fucking briefcase that that was like a computer inside of it. And you'd open it up and we had an external separate 28K modem. And it was like blazing fast. Cause my dad was like a, a, a precious metals trader. So he was like, I need the fastest, most extreme and Jesus Christ. When I think about that today, like. You could, that, that much computing power is like in the shittiest watch that you can buy today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Like our raspberry Pis, you know, like these dinky little computers we're buying just to run all the time, like
1: run circles around these machines. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Wait, new question. What is your favorite conspiracy theory? Ooh. Okay.
2: So, you know, listen, I've entertained a lot down over the years, you know, like I still will go and laugh my ass off at an Alex Jones clip. like. I right, learned learn tons of stuff through him. You know, he is hyperbolic, over the top, but, you know, got introduced to a lot of interesting concepts and ideas from him. So, you know, totally about it. But, you know, nowadays I'm really just like trying to have fun with it. See like where people go and, and try to figure out what's like the craziest idea you could entertain that's like stores within the realm of possibility. So like I've seen so what many, is it? Like, really funny ones as of late. Well, hollow earth theory, you know, so. I, <laughs> I you guys know that flat that. Earth really? is mean, just a cover to cover up hollow Earth,
1: right? Oh, shit. So I was saying earlier, I think that, you know, flat Earth, supposedly the flat Earth is surrounded by the ice wall, which you know, <laughs> keeps people from from exiting and, and falling off the edge of the Earth, right? People are like, well, how, why don't people disappear? And it's like, bro, the fucking ice wall. Everybody knows about the ice wall. Yeah, so, ice wall my,
2: great.
1: Uh, right, right. Totally insane. So my my, my my next step is, obviously, we should be mining Bitcoin. In the ice wall. It's an eternal wall of cooling that would allow us to just run ASICs overclocked all the time, good to go. So, why are we doing that? Evan, please answer the question.
2: That's a great question. You know, probably our governments are stopping us to hide all the secrets of the world, I would say. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. You got to get permission to sp-
2: explicitly to go visit Antarctica. Like, hmm, something's up there, right? So, thank you. Uh, so, I, I don't know. Might might be hard to get oil over there. I don't know if you got to drill through the ice or, or, or to get any oil down there. But I I think I, I was onto something today. Marty Ben was saying you went to like a mining facility that was next to a KFC, and then it struck me. I'm like, can we use canola oil? Can we use seed oils to power our Asics? And apparently you can. So maybe we just got to work out and deal with some fast food joints and you know use that for mining i mean i've I've seen people in the past like take the canola oil from the fries and the burgers or whatever and put it into their car and <laughs> just run off that uh, um, i'm not sure i'd do that in my car, car
0: but at my high school no there, yeah. there was like a club that, at my high school that used to like build out a new car engine that I run on canola oil that was the <laughs> weirdest thing but like
2: yeah yeah to like you pass. gotta modify the engine right otherwise you're yeah yeah
0: <laughs> Yeah. Like, they, I remember being like, yo, so, like, how do you do this? Cause I was trying to be like a little shithead at 14 years old to be like, yo, like, if I can figure out how to just yeah, drive it. a car with canola oil from my mom's like kitchen, I'm good to go. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm
2: like, are like shaking S- into like the, their parents' liquor cabinets and like getting liquor, like putting water in there. And like, you're watering down the condolences.
0: <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm actually,
1: that's so much. Did Your go. parents are like, they're marking in the line on the. Computer, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> this is a family resource. How fucking dare you? What are you doing with this? You're getting high and you're like, no, I just want to. Yeah. Like, what are you cooking up with this? Yeah. Crack cocaine, heroin. No, it's literally just you trying to drive to the the ASIC farm where the ASICs hatch out of the eggs, the golden eggs, as we all know they do. And
0: then, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to drive to, to hollow earth at this point.
1: Oh, wait, wait. So sorry. I, once again, as usual, I derail this. So flat earth is merely a conspiracy around the hollow earth. You were saying it.
2: yeah, It's like a cover. It's like a sort of red herring to throw people off the scent, you know, if they all think it's flat, they won't think of how hollow it is. So I don't know. I also like to think about go down that rabbit hole and I'm like. How much oil have we used? Is the earth potentially hollow? Mm.
1: The answer is no. It's not hollow.
2: Yeah, definitely not. Like, honestly, if, if people think we're anywhere close to peak oil, like I got a NFT of the Brooklyn Bridge to sell you. Like, honestly, <laughs> how, how good do you think we are at
1: putting? I shit haven't out? heard that one yet. That was the whole
0: hysteria like 15 years ago. It was like, oh, dude, this is like, this is it. We're, we're milking these things dry. And then boom. We find like three more oil fields and they're like okay we probably actually don't know how much oil is there so we're good
2: yeah it's like just just never call the top never call the bottom just like steer clear of this and anyone trying to tell you like you know this is the top this is the bottom where after at this point all is over or whatever just like just go about your day and ignore this like it's it's you just can't possibly know and i think people like there's generally have like these God complexes, people in authority too. like, you know, it's okay to say that you don't know.
1: Right. No, no. Apparently it's never okay. You cannot acknowledge that uh, you may have made a mistake in, at least in American politics and American business. It's always gotta be just hey, we'll forward progress. Which way, Western
0: hang on, hang on. Admitting mistakes is not unheard of. We had both Janet Yellen and Andrew Powell say that they are p- I'm paraphrasing here, incompetent buffoons who know nothing about what their job actually entails. That. Like that was the gist of it. But like, 100%. Hey, like
2: yeah, if you were no to to the balloons,
0: yeah. like, I, did I take some creative liberties? And, and, and absolutely and, and, not. So,
1: <laughs> uh, let's bring it all back to Bitcoin. We've talked about how obviously we need to mine Bitcoin in the ice wall around the flat earth. We've talked about using canola oil and seed oils for their originally intended purpose, not human consumption for, you know, lubricant and powering machines. Don't do that to yourself. That's right. Let's bring it back to Bitcoin. What do you think, or what, how would you define hyperbitcoinization? What does that term mean to you?
2: Hyper-Bitcoinization in my eyes means that you can interact with Bitcoin with ease, without using any sort of like, you know, third party to convert it for you or turn into gift cards, you are able to use Bitcoin with comfort on a regular basis as your, both your unit of account and the medium of exchange. That's what it means for me. Not everyone is going to use it, but the, it, it's, it's got to be ubiquitous in society. You know, some people are, are still going to be using their stable coins or community coins or, or whatever, but the Bitcoin holder is going to be able to expend it wherever they want because people in society are just going to know inherently, oh, I want Bitcoin. And this might seem like a super far-fetched idea. But I think within a generation, it's a really high chance of being a possibility. You know, it's going to take like a whole new generation of kids that just grew up with it. Like their dad just gave them a little Bitcoin wallet to send them (laughs) sats for their, their chores. You know, kids that are like, oh yeah, I'll let me take the 5,000 Satoshis instead of the $1. Like, and they just come up and love it and just, it's all they know and you know, maybe they come out and have to interface with the legacy system around the way and they're like, wow, setting up a bank account sucks. Doing a wire sucks. Writing a check for my landlord sucks. I wish this was all in Bitcoin and I'm going to do as much as I can in Bitcoin. So it's going to happen. I think it's, it's a little silly to think that just like it's going to happen overnight or I think that everyone is going to use it as their de facto currency, you know, I, I don't think fiat currencies are going. Anywhere, anytime soon, at least. But yeah, to me, it's about that ease of use and just that ubiquity through society.
0: What is the thing that's going to be the biggest roadblock, in your opinion? I think that
2: we still haven't seen the full pushback that we're going to see from these institutions, these central banks, the state. I think that there's going to be some really serious clampdowns. I think some jurisdictions, it's going to become illegal to have Bitcoin. I think there's going to be a lot of FUD from proof of work. Basically, the people in power have had this level of control for over 100 years, and they're not just going to let it go easily. So I think that's going to be huge. But there's also other challenges that we're going to face, that we are facing in terms of you know, UI and UX, people easily being able to interact with Bitcoin and interface with it. There's educational problems about like why Bitcoin is important. Although as inflation ramps up around the world and currencies collapse, I think, you know, it's gonna be easier for people to understand why Bitcoin. You know, like you don't have to tell an Argentinian like why they should be interested in an alternative money, right? Like they're getting crushed for decades and decades. But as that becomes more widespread, that's gonna help too. And yeah, I think I think that covers it. But yeah, I definitely expect much more state crackdowns. Part of that's going to be hard to avoid. Some of that's going to be alleviated by jurisdictional arbitrage. Some people are going to welcome us with open arms, but the real fight, I don't think has begun yet. I think lastly, I would say this is a really big challenge, right? We have the risk of Bitcoin being completely co-opted by the institutions and just there only being these rails. Whether it be, you know, it being made illegal to not have your Bitcoin registered or Forcing everyone onto KYC ramps. There's a real risk of the government's just letting everything fly, but having everything under a microscope and having really strict restrictions on sovereign Bitcoin usage. Like it wouldn't surprise me if some jurisdictions made it illegal to use Bitcoin, like you can use it with juice. So we need to do everything we can to make sure that using Bitcoin in a self-custodial in non KYC manner is as easy as possible.
0: Okay. Back to conspiracy theories. Key, what you got? I had one too, that I wanted to bring up. Fuck. Hollow earth. You guys are idiots. Flat earth. You guys are complete fucking idiots. <laughs> I was facing on where I was going with this. There was a, there was a genuine through line. Come back to me. Keep going down, All right. keep going Fair down enough. this, keep going down this rabbit hole though.
1: All right. So one of the things we were talking about earlier is CBDCs and why central banking entities have started promoting them and making noises about promoting them. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Evan.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean the institutions that really pull the strings, like, you know, the central banks and. IMF, and certainly federal governments, want well, as much control as possible. I mean, a CBDC, a CBDC, it means complete financial surveillance. It's essentially going to mean a path towards a cashless society. a society in which I can't even pay my kid that five bucks or whatever for mowing the lawn or doing his errands or chores. And that's simply not a world I want to live in. That sucks. So yeah, I mean, there's so much to gain. I think. Tools like being able to set, you know, negative interest rates, like making your money, like a rotting fish. Oh, you have this money, but you got to spend it in two weeks. Like that's a super enticing tool for these people. You know, the, the ability to surveil everything and just stop transactions that they don't want to. It's like, you're not a registered merchant. You can't accept payments. So good luck selling your tomatoes from your garden or whatever you want to sell. Like that's a really powerful tool very dangerous tool. It's going to be used politically, I think. Right. I think of right now there's a lot of discussion regarding like gun violence and whatnot, and people are putting the clamps down on 3D printing and, and parts. Like there's already been a lot of discussion there. A lot of discussion that's really driven by these governments. The payment processors for the most part, they just want to let them go through because they're making money. But the federal the people in government they they stand to gain politically by their ban. I think we're seeing some, some corporations sort of leaning with them too. Like sort of UPS is blocking delivery of parts. They say, Hey, if you get a part and we find it, like we're going to just confiscate it and destroy it. It's like, that's not
1: right. Wait, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Fuck UPS. Wait, 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 can you be more specific? I did not know this.
2: So U- is that- UPS is saying, okay, we're sick of gun violence. So if you buy a uh, 80% kit, gun parts. Like we're, not gonna, we're not gonna move any gun parts at all. And if you have an existing order, we might confiscate and destroy it. It's like, Wait, are what?
1: fucking kidding me?
2: And I think this is partially driven by this, all this ESG nonsense where you gotta be politically correct. You gotta, you know, make sure you're not associating with all these people. I think that's gonna tie into it too. So
1: that is so problematic.
2: That's, that's definitely problematic. So people, you know, remember to vote with your wallets. I only use services that are looking out for your best interests. Be mindful of this stuff.
1: I had to slide slide in here as well. That's crazy, Evan. I did not know that about the gun parts. Did you guys hear about what happened with Texas with the the energy grids having issues? So a lot of the Bitcoin miners are shutting down, helping their grid. I don't know if you guys heard the flip. So you know like Nest? It's not Nest, but you know those like Bluetooth, Wi-Fi thermostats? The one company, not Nest, but a company like that, Basically, the government set out a mandate that you're not allowed to use a certain level of energy for air conditioners. So they overrode, they updated, they forced updated everyone's software. It set everyone's thermostats to 79 degrees. And there's no way to override it.
2: It's it's completely nonsense, like stuff that you have control of. So here's another news story. Just dropped today. BMW is charging you to use features in your car. If you want the heated seats that are already installed in your damn car that you paid Maybe a hundred grand for you. Got to pay eighteen dollars a month to be able to use that function. Shut
0: are you the fuck up! Kidding me?
2: Fuck that! All right, I'm not. Oh, uh, that is. Such I, 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 I do what? not. I don't want to be driving cars with proprietary software that block me off from features that I already paid for.
1: Like this is crazy is behavior. An, I mean, you know who pioneered that though? It's fucking Tesla. Tesla yeah, has to like you know like oh you want this level of service? Well then you got to pay for it you know to get this. But that is. <laughs> fucking crazy at least with tesla ostensibly it's like ai based driving
2: well well that's not not not, not a hundred because there's car there's car one car for car. like the supercharger right they're like oh this is a this will turn your acceleration you'll be able to hit 60 in like half a second quicker because all these cars well, cars and I think just... that's one time though but still that's still messed up what's the point to squeeze yeah, every chance, crazy. it's like It's like really just an example of like predatory capitalism. You know, like I'm, I'm, you know, pretty anarchist sort of in cap, right? But like when I see stuff like that, it just is despicable. Like I'm never going to buy your products, guys. Like fuck off. I I, I love love, love Beamers. Like like my grandpa, my my dad, only Beamers. I don't, after hearing this news, it's like, just fuck you and your company. This this is my opinion.
1: I have one more. Yeah, I mean, you're not, you don't own the car, right? You're just renting it. Even yeah. You're and, and that and that's like it. an extension
2: of this globalist ideology that they're trying to carry out everywhere. You will own nothing and you'll be happy. It's like, they're trying to perpetuate this idea. It's like, oh, you're going to die anyway. So it's so like you're renting anyway. So. Except, for really like, except for like, if I'm the one renting, who owns it? It's like you guys and all your cronies. And you guys would just want another revenue stream. This is the s- extension of that same ideology. And it's disgusting. We got to fight back.
0: I mean, I need to understand this more clearly. So are you saying that like there has to be a separator here? There has to be like a, if you own the car, are they saying like, if I lease the BMW, I'm paying this versus like, if you own it versus like when you're finished paying it off, like what happens if I buy the car all cash today? Am I still subject to this $18 a month fee?
2: Because I Yeah. If you, want, if you want the eight-seaters from my understanding at least.
0: This is crazy. Like... All of this, like the whole subscription idea just is rooted around getting people to pay a monthly fee, no different than how we were paying our phone and cable bills. And uh, for a while, also internet got bundled into that. And then Netflix had to come and give everyone the brilliant idea of, hey, if you can monetize something over a month over month basis, it doesn't actually matter what your margins are because you can, on a month over month basis, make up so much money.
2: This is- exactly. just- Exactly. It's, it's, it's really a battle of, you know, long-term versus short-term thinking. These companies are thinking for the long haul. Bottom line is what's over the long-term and they're just trying to take advantage of people who have this fiat brain, this reptile brain that this society has, served us up on a plate, instant gratification, and just not even thinking about the power dynamics at play.
0: How much of this though, is on the consumer that. You know, what's that old joke that like every family has that refrigerator that's from the 50s in your, in your <laughs> garage that's never broken down and still works to this day, but the brand new fridge that my parents bought like 10 years ago breaks down every maybe three, three years or something like that. And yeah. these newer appliances were just worse. And over time, we have inevitably created worse products. And we've accepted that as the consumer rather than holding the manufacturers accountable rather than saying like, why is it? The vacuum from the fifties still works, but my vacuum built in 2005, broke down 10 years ago. How much do you blame the consumer for just not, and like, could the consumer and how would the consumer hold the manufacturers accountable? So
2: so that's an excellent question. So this phenomenon you're talking about is called planned obsolescence, right? Basically they want to create products that you buy and they're going to expire within like a two week window that they've sort of mapped out on average by measuring the usage of the machines. And they sort of time it so that your machine will crap out, like probably like a week before their next offering comes out. So I think we as consumers, obviously we, we always have the option to say, okay, no, I'm not buying a Tesla. I'm not buying a BMW. I'm not buying a Samsung fridge or, or whatever it may be. But at the same time, I think this is downstream of the behaviors in our society by cheap money, right? Like people are thinking in short terms, they're saying, okay, I'm willing to buy the, the cheaper fridge, even if it's going to last like only a fraction of the time, just because I need something now and you know, we live in this debt-based society, we just want instant gratification. So we need to personally be thinking about, you know, how we're going to interact with these companies, making smart investments in our, you know, utilities, like, and uh, appliances, like our cars and our fridges we need to be thinking more in the long term, what's going to be best, what's going to hold up longer. And, you know, there's a lot of difficulties in it because a lot of these manufacturers are doing it in lockstep. Everyone sort of knows what the jig is, but, you know, that's not necessarily true for everyone. There's, There's definitely outliers, producers that produce more quality goods. It just takes more time to seek them out and it costs more money.
0: Of course, now at the very end of the segment, remember the other conspiracy theory that I wanted to go down the rabbit hole with you. So uh, on that note, instead of hijacking the new episode of FedWatch, which will be coming after this upcoming commercial break, Evan, I'm putting you on the spot and saying, you're just, you're going to have to come back so we can go down this rabbit hole. I'm game. Let's do it. We'll give you, give you the final word, share any thoughts, and also please let everyone know how to stay up to date with both the work you're doing individually, as well as the work of Zeus and all the great stuff you guys are cooking up over there.
2: Yeah, sure thing. So yeah, I just want to say, you know, thanks for having me on. If you were listening today, try out Lightning. Really recommend any of the wallets I mentioned. Try not to go custodial. Go more for like a moon with two U's, Breeze, Phoenix, Blix. You don't have to use Zeus out the gate, but, you know, try to push yourself. Stay curious. Go down as many rabbit holes as you can, you know, and, and ultimately just... Find a solution that you're comfortable with and, and join us on the Lightning Network. You can follow all our updates for Zeus at zeusln.app. That's the website, zeusln.app, where Zeus LN, LN stands for Lightning Network, of course, Zeus LN on Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter. I think my tags right below me. Evan Kalutis on Twitter. Yeah, my DMs are open. So if you have any questions about this, feel free to reach out. We also have, you know, dedicated Telegram, dedicated Slack. You can shoot me an email. Just want to help on board as many people as I can and you know, just get as many people using Zeus as possible.
1: Fantastic, man. Thank you so much. <laughs>